0: Good morning, happy Easter, glad that you're here today, and um, because he lives, one of my favorite songs, and I know it is uh, in your heart as well. Uh, Wherever you may be this morning, I'm going to ask that you turn with me in John to John chapter number 20. In just a moment, I'm going to begin reading, uh, beginning in verse number one and read through verse eight. I hope you'll follow along with me. The Bible says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed or rolled away from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, which we believe that's obviously to be John, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him or placed him. So Peter... And the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running. And the other disciple out round Peter and reached the tomb first. And then the Bible says in verse number five, he bent over and looked in in the very strips of the linen lying there, but he did not go in. And then verse six, then Simon Peter came along behind him, went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that they had been wrapped around that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to where they were staying. So this morning, I wanna talk to you about the historical convergence of the cross. It is so very important that you and I on this Easter Sunday morning can embrace and grasp how important the steeped history of the cross is, not only to all believers, but individually to you and to me. As we look at the bookends of our New Testament from the very moment that the gospel writers began to speak and teach and write, all the way through the end of the New Testament, we begin to see different pictures of this death, burial, and resurrection. For instance, as we wind up our New Testament late in the writing of the New Testament, Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, "'Your very forefathers, the Israelites, they were baptized unto Moses in a cloud and sea.'" What Paul was sharing, once again, was the importance of understanding the picture that literally thousands of years prior to that moment, their forefathers, their ancestors had waded down into those parted waters of the Red Sea. And they did so. And in a sense, they didn't physically die, but yet being out of the rebellion and the concept of their slavery, it died in the very basin of that Red Sea. But yet they came up out of those waters on the other side a free people, seeking the very inheritance as the son and daughters of the very holy God. But yet their oppressors followed them, seeking them out. And as they made their way into the Red Sea, they they found themselves in a watery grave. And so we begin seeing quickly that Paul was speaking to the Corinthians about the importance that they were about to walk into the newness of life. But on the back end of our New Testament, Paul makes sure that believers understand that. But on the front end of our New Testament, it's the gospel writers that drive that principle home. Recorded for us in almost every gospel is the incredible moment of Jesus's baptism. The Bible tells us that John the Baptist, looking through that very Jordan crowd, was able to see a familiar face that he recognized, the Lord Jesus himself. And he shouted out among the crowd, look, behold, the son, the very lamb of God Here he comes, he comes to take away the sin of the world. And in that very moment, Jesus began to make his way into those waters of the Jordan. As he did so, he shared with John the Baptist, you will baptize me. We know that John the Baptist had great, great trepidation, very much of a sense of, Lord, I can't baptize you. But our Lord and Savior at that moment said, You must baptize me in order to fulfill all righteousness. The Lord Jesus wanted people to be able to see a tangible way of understanding that it's out of my death, burial, and resurrection that I'm going to be able to deliver you from your past. You see, the historical convergence for all of us as believers on this Easter Sunday morning should be a constant reminder in our own hearts about how important our heritage is around the cross, the very burial, the bridge to that resurrection experience. You see, our lives are being transformed in an amazing way. In fact, we understand walking in the newness of life. We understand that the old self is much more than trying to do better, trying to do more, the old self is much more, so much more needed than just to refurbish or to remodel or to just renovate. But these old houses need to be completely torn down. We know that walking in the newness of life represents a complete reconstruction of what our Lord and Savior is doing in each of our lives. That's why on evangelical tables across the world, there is a phrase that simply says, do this in remembrance of, of me. Our biblical writers wanted to drive home the important aspect that you and I need to be able to embrace the very ancestry and history of who we are in Christ. And that death and that burial and that resurrection is the utmost of importance for us because it speaks to us about how important God's love is for us and how deep His love runs. Think about how far our Lord and Savior went to win back and to buy you and me out of the sinful lives that we were born in and have chosen to live. You know, that should say something to us on these Easter Sunday morning. It should say something to our self-image. It should say something to our self-confidence. It should say something about our self-esteem. It should speak into our fears and our intimidations. It should even help us understand that even in those moments when we feel like a nobody, we recognize we are a somebody. Because I will assure you, when we look at how much God paid to get you and me out of trouble, it reminds us every single day of our lives in the midst of our contemporary challenges. It was our Lord and Savior that was able to erase the sting of death. It was our Lord and Savior that was able to demonstrate tremendous victory over the grave that he has shown us, that we too, walking in the newness of life that he has given us, have this incredible resurrection power. But understand, if we believe in this resurrection power, if we're able to embrace that, then surely we understand that that helps us in our everyday lives. It doesn't matter this morning, on this Easter morning, if you're in your new suit, an old suit, your pajama pants, or your blue jeans, you and I ought to be so very excited to know that the resurrection speaks and reminds in, in, into our hearts of the importance of that historical connection that we have with our Lord and Savior. But there's a second very important thing I want you to embrace with me today on this Easter Sunday morning, not just a picture of the history of the cross, just not, but also our personal connectivity of the cross. Paul said in Romans chapter six and verse four, we're buried with him, speaking of the Lord Jesus, we also shall walk in that newness of life. We understand very quickly, don't we? That you and I, we carry a cross as well. Jesus was not the only one that had to bear a cross, but as followers of his, again, that statement in Romans six, four, We were buried with Him. Therefore, we walk as He walked in the newness of the life that He's given us. We too have crosses to bear. Have you ever noticed how many crosses there are in life? All kinds of different crosses. Crosses that we must bear day in and day out. Crosses that destroy our flesh. Crosses that when they destroy our flesh point us to the very glory of God. Those very crosses that deny our flesh, the flesh that we so often believe that these needs that we're being denied, that we really need them. Crosses like crosses of a wayward child, an individual child that we love so very dearly that seems to be indifferent or breaking our heart. A cross of a job challenge that we may have, a cross of a burden, Maybe it's a burden of infertility or an aging parent or a financial burden. Or maybe it's just simply a cross of a thorn physically that we carry in our bodies that for whatever reason God chooses not to remove. You see, the story of Jesus did not end on the cross, nor will the story of our lives end on a cross. I may be broken now, but I won't be broken forever. You may be lonely now, but you won't be lonely forever. You and I may be burdened now, but we will not be burdened forever. You see, you and I cannot understand full resurrection power until we experience resurrection power through the very form of suffering. You know, in this passage that we read just a moment ago, John chapter 20, as it begins to wind up in verses 6 and 7, you begin to start seeing some reactions of those around the cross. And then those that have come to the tomb and what their very feelings are as they begin seeing those linens draped on the floor in the tomb. I love what Matthew chapter 28 and verse 8 states. It brings home a very important point. It says in Matthew 28, 8, this account of the uncovering of the tomb The Bible says, So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. That's an incredible moment in this resurrection story. As a couple of those that had been tending the very body of Jesus really began to come into the full understanding of what the resurrection meant. I would suggest to you this morning that the closer we come to the tomb, the greater the vision of our lives. The closer that you and I come to the tomb, the very greater picture of our lives we're able to see. This past week, I had the opportunity, even though I was social distancing, following the rules, I had to see one of the members of our church, a man that I love very much, his name is Mike Denholm. And I share this morning out of the very depths of that visit with permission from Mike. I spent about 20 minutes with him because just a few days ago, doctors relayed to him that he only had just a few days to live. With stage four progressive lung cancer, they shared with him the news, Mike, there's very little that we can do from this point on. Now, we're still praying for a miracle. And for you that were not aware of Mike's physical condition, I hope that you'll join me in praying not only for Mike and his healing, but more importantly, whatever God's will is for his life. And that's how he's praying as well. But we need to be praying for his family. But as I sat on his back porch, a safe distance away, just listening to his heart, listening to the different concepts and how he viewed this challenge, which could be, the very end of his life. As I got ready to pray with him, I began to think and all kinds of things ran through my mind. What as his pastor was I to tell him? How could I be an encouragement to him? And in trying to seek the very simple words, the words that the Lord would give me to share with him to try to be an encouragement, Mike really was the greatest of encouragements to me. As he was sharing, I thought about a picture that I saw just a few days ago of one of our first responders in the New York area. A first responder, a medical professional that had come home, and because he was wanting to quarantine and keep his little son safe, he stood at the back patio door, put his big dad-sized hand against the glass, and there they were able to film his little three-year-old son standing inside that glass putting his small child hand up against his massive dad's fingers. And there they stood with a glass between them. And as I was listening to Mike, I was reflecting back on that incredible picture. A picture that on the cross on this Easter Sunday morning, we go back at the very foot of that cross and then to the very tomb that our Lord was resurrected. And we began to piece together a picture several thousand years ago of our Lord and Savior as He also extended His hands, not in a traditional way, but in a way outward, hands that were spiked. As He hung there on the cross, that was His way of reaching out to us with a personal touch. I don't know about you, but one of the things that I miss more than anything is the personal touch. I traditionally am a hugger. I enjoy shaking people's hands. And as I was thinking about exiting this past week with a man and a family that I love very much in a very tough medical position, I thought about the fact I'm not gonna be able to shake his hand. I'm not gonna be able to embrace him. What? How am I gonna show my affection to him? an affection that I so often share either by extending my hand or hugging someone's neck or embracing them. But in this moment, I was stripped of that opportunity. But I hope that I was able to communicate verbally and with my non-verbal language to Mike and to Miss Vivian and to their family how much I love him. And as I did so, as I got in my Jeep and began to drive off this week, I once again was just so thankful for the picture of our Lord and Savior as in a very non-traditional way, he too showed us his love, a way that no one else has showed since, a love that really is a love that we need to embrace with everything in us. You see, as I would share with Mike today, and I know he's tuning in in our very our very live streaming episode this morning, I just want all of us to remember all of us are gonna come to that crossroad when life is gonna pass away. And when it does, we really will have nothing else except the very promise of God. The promise that he's gone to prepare a place for us. The promise that really is vested in the resurrection because it was out of that overcoming death and fulfilling that very promise. The promise that weeded throughout our entire, weaved through the whole tapestry of God's Word from the beginning to the end is that redemptive story. And because our Lord and Savior was able to fulfill that with perfection, you and I will have the wonderful, wonderful promise that we know something will go on very special beyond this life. Yes, the death, the burial, the resurrection. And today, I just want us to be able to live in the awareness that not only did our Lord and Savior come out of that tomb and was He resurrected, but He lives in His people as well. Let's pray together. Lord, I just wanna thank You today on this Easter Sunday morning for Your amazing presence in our lives. Thank You for Your personal touch in each one of our hearts and lives as even though thousands of years ago You hung on that cross, in that moment today, we're able to return in a very intimate way, in a way of personal connectivity. We're able to return with a historical canon to understand what you've done for us from a theological position. But Father, through that, we know ultimately that cross experience was your way of reaching out to us in only the very way that God had planned for a one-time substitutionary death for forgiveness for us all. So Father, if there's someone today that can hear my voice, that's able to worship with us, that maybe they're trying to spin their wheels in their life to do more, to make more, to become more, that maybe they would be able to retreat from that to seek the Lord Jesus, to have a radical change in their heart, trusting Jesus and having faith in Him, leaving and turning from their sin and to Jesus for life ahead. Father, in that moment, it won't be about renovation. It won't be about a readjustment, but it will then become a walk in a total new way of life, a radical change. So Father, we pray for each and every one of those that may not know the Lord Jesus personally on this Easter Sunday. Would you be with them today? Would you somehow through your Holy Spirit convict them in their heart push them, prompt them, prod them to that point that out of the very love of our Lord and Savior, they'll trust Him for eternal life ahead. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.